You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop, the podcast that explores solutions for sustainability and equity in water. I'm the host, Travis Loop. This is episode number 207, Western Leaders and Adaptation Insights. As a variety of forces continue to change the water landscape in the American West, adaptation is the focus. This episode features conversations with several prominent water leaders from the One Water Summit in Tucson. Adele Hodge-Khalil, the general manager of the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, explains ambitious plans to capture, store, and recycle enormous amounts of water across the region. Felicia Marcus, a fellow at Stanford University's Water in the West program, discusses California's progress during the past decade and how it has created a comprehensive approach to adaptation. Sharon Megdow, a professor and director of the Water Resources Research Center at the University of Arizona, talks about the role of research in building public understanding of problems and advancing tangible solutions. You're in the water loop. Our first guest is Adele Hodge-Khalil, the general manager of the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California. Adele was asked how the greater Los Angeles region is responding to the challenge of water scarcity. You know, we're looking at developing a climate adaptation master plan for water and, and looking at a new business model to support the investments we need. We are dealing with a, a uh, what I call the climate whiplash. Uh, last year, uh, we had a third year of a very severe drought. We're seeing hotter and drier days. And we almost ran out of water in some of our regions. And uh, we were tapping into our reserves and storage. And, and it was clear that we need to do something to create safe, resilient water for everyone with no one left behind. So my board, uh, Metropolitan Water District, represents 19 million people uh, and decided to really work hard on uh, building a resilient water future for Southern California. But the work we do in Southern California impacts California and the Southwest. Um, uh, and as, as we have uh, work we do in, in California and with the partners across the region, but really, it's the solution we're looking at is when you have water, we have new tools for water management. When you have rain and water, as we had this year, we need to capture it, move it around, store it, and put it in the system above ground, underground, and then recycle every drop we have. Uh, so we, last two weeks ago, we, we did a ribbon cutting in a, in a project for uh, 300,000 acre feet of underground storage through a partnership in the high desert around Lancaster, uh, that we can take excess water from the state water project in Sacramento and the Delta into underground. So that's the size of that project is uh, the size of Lake Castaic. Uh, if you be into Big Bear, it's three times Big Bear Lake. So it's enough for 260,000 household uh, and, and also what we're doing is building the infrastructure of the future. That means the ability to move water between systems. We're going to have a shift in, in where population is growing, where the needs are, and our system has to be able to adapt and move water around. But the big thing is also recycling. Uh, we are taking Metropolitan is leading the way in building the largest recycled water project in the world, Pure Water Southern California, 150 million gallons a day. 
uh, it's going to recycle and move it up in the system for recharge and reuse. But also, we're very excited about California leading the way on direct portable, where at some point we'll be able to put the water in our treatment system, and we're building that flexibility. And we're partnering with other agencies like the City of Los Angeles, seeing can we partner and double the 150 million gallons a day to 300 million gallons a day. And we're looking for tools in the toolbox. Uh, conservation is also huge. As you know, uh, at, uh, in Southern California and metropolitan, our water use today is the same as it was 40 years ago. Our per capita consumption is 40% less. But now we are taking the lead on an effort. And yesterday I had a pleasure to receive $38 million from the state to help uh, what's called removal of non-functional turf, replacing it with native and California-friendly plants, less thirsty, right? Take thirsty lawns, give the water to the businesses in the community and store it when we have it. Plus also we're finding ways to incentivize firefighters. Uh, 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 have to train and during the drought they couldn't use the water but now we have new tools and innovation we're trying to apply it where you can actually train and capture the water recycling so we're giving incentives for those but also our biggest concern is underserved communities um, and what we have in the program because the rebates that we've been given to people to use less water you have to apply and you have to wait for reimbursement we think disadvantaged communities get left out because one, they don't have the time. Most of them work two jobs and they don't have the upfront money. So one of the things we're looking at is direct install. So we're partnering with the gas company where we are doing energy audits and now we're doing water audits at the same time. And if we need to invest and replace leaky fixtures, uh, inefficient water fixtures, we do it on the spot. You don't have to pay a penny. And then it's paid by us directly. To me, that's the shift. And as we're partnering with the seven states uh, of, um, in, in the Southwest and the country of Mexico, we saw what happened in Lake Mead and Lake Powell and the Colorado River. You know, nature gave us a lifeline and we're trying to take advantage of it. But really the future is about how we can still farm efficiently, how we can capture water and store it. And I talk about the future is actually creating reservoirs of water. At the end of this year, we'll have the largest storage in the history of metropolitan, three and a half million acre feet of water. But that doesn't take away what we need to do. We need to you know, use that water very carefully, be efficient. Everybody in the whole Southwest have to be efficient in their water consumption. That's why we have an MOU with all the urban communities and work with the farmers. We support farming and farming is essential to our livelihood and the community. But to me also, I wanna look beyond the federal funding that's available. We're lucky we have some federal funding from the Inflation Reduction Act and the bipartisan uh, infrastructure bill. But we need to find sustainable funding through a new business model in Metropolitan that incentivize conserv conservation, but also invest in infrastructure, not based on buying water, but also as a Southwest, can we create buckets of water, reservoirs of water, but also create reservoirs of money where we can share and putting money aside and then holistically agree, what is the investment needed? Is it in Arizona? Is it in Southern California? Is it in Mexico? 
to recycle water and then take away the demand on the Colorado River. We can't just talk about cuts, cuts, cuts. We need to talk about solutions and new ways to provide water. And I'm excited that Metropolitan and the new vision that my board and since I've taken over the last two and a half years have shifted the effort into a one water holistic approach into a plan where everybody is accounted for, finding alternative solutions, stormwater capture, recharge, recycling, conservation, advanced uh, infrastructure to move water around. To me, it's exciting times. I call it, this is a transformational moment in our history. Uh, and it's a moment that I think, I call it the second Mulholland moment. A hundred years ago, Mulholland created water for Southern California to be the eighth largest economy in the world today. And our job is to protect it and make it better, but it can't be the same tools that were used before. And the tools we're doing right now is a new tools and a new effort to bring what I call the holistic approach of one water management. Next, we hear from Felicia Marcus, a fellow at Stanford University's Water in the West program. Felicia was asked how California is doing with adaptation and where the state is headed. Well, I think California's made incredible progress over the last decade on a whole host of fronts. I mean, part of the effort that we had in the Brown administration was to create an all of the above approach. So as opposed to having the fractured worlds of water just talking to each other in a bubble, we said we're dealing with this nightmare of climate change coming at us where we're going to lose our snowpack, which is our largest source of storage. So all these fights that we've had are going to make, you know, are, are going to seem like a picnic compared to the pain we're all going to feel. And so we had a rather short plan to say, you know, come with us if you want to live. We're going to do all of these. You guys can stay in a cocktail party conversation, but we're going to act on conservation first and foremost, not as sexy to some people, but the cheapest, fastest, smartest way to extend our water resources. We're going to deal with integrated water management of all kinds, promoting recycling, stormwater capture, desal in the appropriate circumstances. We're going to prioritize safe drinking water for all Californians to make good on the human right to water promise. And it had a whole host of things like protecting ecosystems ahead of the endangered species curve. It was basically all of the all of the above, including groundwater management, because our groundwater basins are the only thing large enough to compensate for the loss of snowpack. And so there's been a huge push. So there, there's a lot that's encouraging that's happening uh, again motion needs to be accelerated and there needs to be more but you know california just this year finally put out draft regulations for water efficiency in urban areas that we've been working on for years um finally moving forward again on the bay delta plan that had sort of been frozen for five years but i think one of the most and, and safe drinking water for all they've made a lot of progress 200 communities that didn't have safe affordable drinking water now do they have many more to go but they're really in motion there um but the, one of the things i'm most excited about is the audacious goals for stormwater capture and recycling in the la area and i've spent a lot of time talking about and writing about this recently where a there's a recognition of the the incredible impacts of disruption that could come either from earthquakes or from climate change both on the colorado side and the state water project side with sierra water coming via the delta or even coming via the la aqueduct and you you so you finally have now the metropolitan water agency which was always known as the the um 
water import people. I mean, they were created to build the Colorado Aqueduct, and then they expanded to help build the state water project, actually investing their own money and time working with county sanitation districts to do 150 million gallon a day project, which is now in process, which will be even bigger than the Orange County Sanitation District, Orange County Water District project, which is now recycling 100% of Orange County Sanitation District's water. It's really exciting. Biggest one in the world. Metropolitan's going to do an even bigger one. And then the city of Los Angeles with an over 200 million gallon a day project to recycle 100% of Hyperion effluent, their largest coastal treatment plant. And then on top of that, you have the county with an amazing coalition of people from the private sector, local agencies, the environmental sector, the equity sector, coming up with a ballot measure that ended up passing that's yielding $300 million a year to do multi-benefit stormwater capture projects, which will which in the next decade, you'll see the face of LA County transform with these urban greening projects that will also yield flood benefits, water quality benefits, and groundwater recharge benefits at the same time that these two other mammoth projects underground, where you won't see it, will be creating another uh, source of water for the community. And they're even planning on hooking up with each other. And there, there are agreements that the Metropolitan deal with Las Vegas, the Southern Nevada Water Authority, and folks in Arizona helping to fund the project in exchange for being able to take some of Met's allocation to the Colorado River Basin. So this big picture thinking that's happening, again, a decade to implement or more, is a transformation um, in process. So it's really encouraging. It's also terrifying because it's so hard to do it. But the fact that people are thinking that big and they're they're actually taking climate change and its impact seriously and that the public is supporting it is pretty exciting. Last is Sharon Megdow, a professor and director of the Water Resources Research Center at the University of Arizona. Sharon was asked about the role of research in building awareness of the need for adaptation. So dialogue is important at multiple levels. Uh, when we're doing research, we want to have dialogue with those who may be the users of the research to help us define the research questions and the approach. When we're uh, doing educational programs, it's also important to reach out very broadly and try to engage people because fundamental to the work that we do at the Water Resources Research Center and the work I do is helping people understand what is the nature of our water problems? What are the possible solutions to them? What are the trade-offs with those solutions? So that people can understand they may be decision makers making the decisions, but one of the things that I like to say is that most of us that are maybe voting age or close to voting age and above, we're all water decision maker influencers. And so really um, the kind of dialogue you have may differ with whether you're dealing with water industry people, water experts, or dealing with the public. I deal with um, so many different types of audiences. And what I find is effective in all cases is being able to explain things succinctly, uh, help them understand and answer their questions. Because what I find is people have questions that either they haven't had the opportunity to ask or people haven't answered those questions clearly for them. So dialogue happens in many different ways. And one of the 
thrusts of my work over the last couple of years is to provide opportunities for people to learn and people to listen. And that includes uh, opportunities to learn and listen from indigenous peoples, from uh, peoples of different walks of life, trying to get bring together people who may not always come together and I'm finding that uh, people are really appreciate, appreciative. People are really appreciative of the opportunity to learn. And so that's part of what, uh, you know, the thrust of a university is. And as my center is an extension center, which means it's really engaging with the public and communities, uh, the work is never ending. There's just so much opportunity to help provide information, provide analysis that can contribute to understanding problems, understanding possible solutions, and the pathways to those solutions. Because we're dealing with big problems these days, and it's not like, okay, here's the solution, go implement it. It's a pathway, it's, it's a process. And so I work a lot on that. There's, there's an example that I like to give that, um, I can't take credit for the work, but, um, and this is front and center to so many of us working in, in the climate change uh, era. And that is understanding what is the duration of drought? And the example I'm gonna give you has to do with tree ring studies. So, so, um, so we at universities, we're doing all kinds of different research, different areas of expertise. Uh, sometimes it's to characterize things so that people can understand is water polluted or not and what to do about it. But one of the best examples that I like to point to of where university research led to changes in policy or behavior of a large water supplier was uh, the tree ring work of some of the dendrochronologists who studied the, the tree cores and looked at what, how long have, have um, droughts lasted in the past. And some work of the tree ring researchers contributed to Salt River Project's change in their drought planning. So they used to plan for maybe it was seven years drought. And then they saw that, wow, it looks like over history, the droughts are longer. And in fact, our, um, River Basin has, has droughts or shortfalls the same time the Colorado does. So maybe we need to take that into account. And they made a change in terms of their planning for drought and how they responded to lower conditions. And so that's one of my favorite examples to use because some people may think, oh, tree ring studies, you know, what use do they have and so forth. And they're tremendously helpful in understanding some of what we, uh, what we experienced when we didn't have measurement capabilities, maybe like we do now. Thank you for listening to the podcast. To find all episodes, sign up for email updates, and connect on social media, visit waterloop.org. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.